Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben UFC 287. You had a title change. You had a retirement you had a hard lesson learned for a young prodigy. I would say, yeah, this one had a little something for everybody. How did it find you? You might even say, Chad, that we packed a whole lot of living into a few hours on Saturday night. We sure did. Just we sure did. all the way around. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be breaking down all that stuff today. Throughout this episode, we'll be taking listener mail. We'll be talking about UFC 287. Did you miss me while I was gone? Well, you know, I had to flip back and forth between UFC 287 and the Seattle Krakens game looking for my man, Chad Dundas, in the crowd. I was like, where is there a shirtless guy with a giant S painted on his chest, whipping his shirt around over his head, screaming his head off for Matty Beneers? Yeah. Because I, uh, I, I didn't see one. I got to be honest with you. As it turned out, I think we were a little high up in the stadium to get on the Root Sports cameras, but it was a fun time going out to Seattle to watch the Kraken absolutely just wear the Chicago Blackhawks around the rink like a button, like a damn hat. Seven goals scored by the Kraken in this one, uh, which I assume they did just because they knew I was there. They knew that I traveled all the way out from Montana to watch the game. So they're like, hey, man, Chad's here. We better we better put up some big numbers. I assume Coach Hackstall Hack was in the locker room beforehand. You're like, "Okay, boys, we got a big one tonight. Yeah. Chad Dundas has come all the way from the state of Montana to watch you guys do your thing. Yeah. You know, let's send him out of here with a good impression of the Seattle Kraken. With that win, they now can finish no worse than the first wildcard spot uh, for the playoffs. So that that win was actually meaningful for them. Here's what I appreciate about our Seattle Kraken. As we get down the stretch in some of these games where they're beating teams uh, like when they were playing Anaheim, teams who aren't doing so well themselves, teams who maybe start to take exception, maybe even take some liberties when they realize that they're down in the game and the Seattle Kraken are running wild on them. And then they try to take a cheap shot back, and the Kraken are not having it, Chad. That's right. Yeah. They're going to get up in your face. They're going to punch you in the mouth if you try any of that dirty shit with them. They are not going to let you get away with it. Just as a team, we're not even looking to one big enforcer at any point in the game. Just as a team, we are not about taking that bullshit. Hey, never been about taking that bullshit. Yeah. Uh, getting ready for that playoff hockey. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the intensity. What the good news is for Ben Folks, I got your present. What? Yeah. A present for me? 
The people on the video version of the podcast can see it. Seattle Kraken 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs commemorative puck right there for oh, Ben Folks. Hell yes. Oh, that is going to go in a place of honor in my home. Yeah, I expect to see it in the front room and nowhere else because uh, <laughs> when you come over, it'll definitely be in the front room. How about that? <laughs> Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. We're going to get around to talking MMA now. This show drops every afternoon, every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you're listening to us right now, I need you to do two things for me. First, go subscribe to the show, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. Just go in there right now and subscribe. That way, the podcast show shows up automatically in your feed every week and you don't forget to listen to it if you already subscribe go ahead and give us a five-star review over there at whatever podcast platform you listen to that really helps with the visibility of the show and if you really want to support find us over on patreon ben folks and i are over there pretty much all week churning out the additional mma content uh we do the wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes we got thursdays doing the damn thing podcast where we take a break from fighting and talk about pop culture and again on friday the power hour a full extra hour of curated mma talk to get you hyped for the weekend we've got a patronage tier for every budget head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team over there again that's patreon.com slash co-main event except this week ben folks a caveat you're going to be out of town that's right i'm going to be in america's finest city san diego california haul at your boy if you're out there in the 619 yeah, no, I bet you're going to miss us while you're down there in the, what, probably 75, 80 degree sunshine, hanging out at the beach. Show, doing, go to a Padres game, going to catch the Padres against the Milwaukee Brewers. Probably having a gun show, showing off the pipes down there, getting into the you know surf. I mean? Listen, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that one way you can really screw things up for yourself as a person coming from pale northern climes such as Montana is to go someplace where the sun is already shining like it's summertime in April pop the top like yeehaw let's all go have a good time and the next thing you know you're a damn lobster it's happened to me happens to be almost every spring in fact but uh not this time not this time well, we're going to get into it. We got music this week from our guy, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over on Twitter at The Fifth Element, Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, and SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element official. Need I remind you, that's the word the with an A, the Fifth Element. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event podcast. In round number one, Israel Adesanya has a message for the earth. And I guess you can do that if you're the two-time champ. And in round number two, Jorge Masvidal got a huge ovation from the crowd in Miami for his final fight, and he walked out to the Scarface theme. Once again, do these guys just turn the movie off halfway through, or... Yeah. I'm convinced no MMA fighter has seen the end of Scarface. Just watch the first 45 minutes, and they're like, well, I assume it all turns out great for Tony Montana. I'm going to go ahead and shut yep. it off here. Well, he, uh, he's the, still partying in, uh, in the clubs of Miami. The hero's journey of Tony Montana <laughs> is complete. <laughs> and in round number three, it's going to be a banger between Max Holloway and Arnold Allen. Sure to thrill the fans in Kansas City? That seems a little random. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. 
Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends at NordVPN. We've been preaching the virtues of NordVPN for a long time now. Ben and I both have it installed on all their devices. It's hassle-free and it works great. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben, I know you love you some NordVPN. What's your favorite thing about using it? Well, what I love about it, Chad, is how it kicks on no matter what Wi-Fi you happen to jump on. So if you're a man about town, as I am, and you're going around, you're getting on various public Wi-Fis, you don't even have to think about it. NordVPN just clicks on, takes care of you, keeps you covered. Doesn't matter if you are over at your podcast co-host's house checking on things while he's gone, (laughs) rifling through his belongings. Doesn't matter if you're then at the pawn shop receiving cold hard american cash for some belongings you recently came into doesn't matter if you're then at the gentleman's club spending cold hard cash that you received at the pawn shop for the sale of some belongings nordvpn has you covered you know i thought some of my belongings seemed rifled when i got home (laughs) what oh your belongings i mean i was just saying like as a hypothetical situation okay i see these are things that could happen yeah Hey, don't forget, you can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, which helps you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the Nord Locker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. A snooper, for example, might come over to your house and rifle through your belongings. And oh, by the way, Do you want to get four free months instead of the usual three? Well, right now, if you use the sign-up link exclusively for listeners of the CME, you can. Every purchase of a two-year plan will will receive four bonus months on top of that when you go to nordvpn.com slash comain and or use the code comain, all one word, when you sign up. This includes the plans we always tell you about, the standard plan, the plus plan, the whole enchilada, the complete plan. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, nordvpn.com slash co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Isaac Henry, who writes, this is a quote now, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear what your opinions are or who you're voting for or what you're doing. They want to get away from everything in their life. And they want to focus on two, three, four hours, however long the sport is when you turned it on. If you want to listen to politics and stuff, turn on any other station. You will hear all that stuff that you want to hear. When you tune into the UFC, you are there to see fights. That is a quote from Dana White on Fox News. Here is the question from Isaac Henry. I know the UFC is mostly full of conservative-leaning individuals. They certainly aren't in favor of collective bargaining, but it seems like everyone loved the Donald. Even John Anik had to get hype for the man. Didn't seem exactly impartial. Now, I don't want to get too sidetracked by this because we already talked about Holly Holm a couple weeks ago when she had her post-fight interview, but I don't know. There's no date on this Dana White quote, so I don't know when he said this. It is somewhat ironic that he would go on and say it on Fox News. Yeah. Again, just an explicitly political platform to come on and talk about how you don't want no politics in your MMA. But this past weekend, obviously, Ben, we saw the former president, Donald Trump. We saw Kid Rock show up cage side at the UFC at UFC 287, sitting there taking in the fights. Now, at this point, man, you just got to say the UFC is an obvious 
objectively speaking, political brand. They have gone out of their way to present themselves as a right-wing leaning political brand. You can't deny it. It's obvious. You can't argue against it. And if you're mad that there are politics in your MMA, like Dana White was just saying, you don't want to see or hear, don't send us the emails. Direct them to Dana White because he's the one over there who is bringing politics into MMA. And like, frankly, it's just a bizarre choice. Just an absolutely bizarre choice. Not only to push the UFC into the conservative media space, but also to bring the disgraced former president to cage side at UFC 287 the same week that he has been charged with 34 felonies up there in New York. And also to bring Kid Rock, who just this past week made his dumbass anti-trans video where he's supposedly shooting a bunch of uh, cases of Bud Light with his fully automatic rifle or whatever. Just, That'll show him. Just a bizarre choice to do that, to bring those guys out there this week. Again, it's another example of when somebody's saying, like, keep politics out of sports. What they really mean is keep the politics that I disagree with out of sports. And that's kind of what Dana White was saying without saying it in his quote on Fox News there was, you don't have to hear the political stuff that you don't want to hear. But you are going to show up and have Jorge Masvidal uh, do a Let's Go Brandon thing. Which, by the way, the thing that annoys me about the let's go Brandon thing is for one thing, do you think that people actually like Joe Biden? Like <laughs> you're trying to say fuck Joe Biden, right? It's like this coded way for you to say yeah. fuck Joe Biden. But it's somehow, for pussies. It's for pussies. You, let's you, just say it. You don't, you it, don't it, really have the, the, the courage to just say fuck Joe Biden. So you do this little like coded way, like you're a bunch of like fifth graders uh, who found, worked out a little code that they could say in the back of the classroom and fall into hysterics together. But it's like, do you think you're triggering the libs with that? Well, nobody likes Joe Biden, man. Joe Biden was nobody's first choice. Joe Biden didn't get anybody excited. It's, you're not doing anything. It's like, fine. Yeah, sure. Fuck Joe Biden, man. I yeah. don't care. And But again, it's like, that's part of your post-fight speech, your post-fight retirement yeah. speech. Your farewell, your send-off. Your farewell speech for your career as you're standing there, like taking your gloves off to leave them in the cage is explicitly political. Yeah. So then to turn around and be like, hey, the UFC is not like a political platform. We're here, we're just, you could turn your brain off, enjoy some fights, not have to worry about the world outside. That's clearly not true. It's clearly, and it was never true. It's never true in any sport because the sports exist within the world around them. They're affected by the world around them. You don't think so. Ask some fighters who have a hard time getting a visa every time a war pops off somewhere. It's always going to be affected by like what's going on culturally, politically, socially all around us. And that's fine. Like that is one of the reasons that we like sports in a way. Like people, how many people would stand around here now and tell you how great Muhammad Ali was, not only because of the fights he won, but because of the stances he took. And those same people, if they had been contemporaries at the time of his, would have been super mad about it. Yeah. So, like, it's never been completely divorced from sports. It is just odd how the UFC has decided, you know what? I don't know if they did the math on it, crunched the demographic numbers and said, we have a lot of right-wing fans, this will pay off for us, or if it's just the actual sincerely held beliefs of like Dana White and a bunch of the fighters. I mean, I think a lot of UFC fighters are, are right leaning at the very least. 
And so that just bleeds over into the sport. I mean, I the thing is, like, I don't have a problem. If you want to get up there and you want to tell us your political beliefs, fine. Yeah. Uh, we will, I, I will form my judgments about you accordingly. Um, but to, like, every once in a while pretend that it has no place there when you hear something you don't want to hear is bullshit. Yeah. Like, either it always has a place there or it never does. And clearly, it has never been a situation where, like, it never belonged, especially fight sports. Like you can trace the history of American politics and cultural changes through something like boxing. You can, you always have been able to do that. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, no, I'm all for it. Keep bringing the disgraced former president to the UFCs, and we'll just keep <laughs> making fun of you for it. That's how it works. If you're Donald Trump, though, it kind of says it all, right? That here you are, a former president of the United States of America, and what you are reduced to is sitting cage side at a fucking MMA event, hobnobbing with kid fucking rock. Jesus fucking (laughs) Christ, dude. That's how desperate you are for positive attention is that you have to come to the fucking UFC and sit next to kid rock. Taking in some fights in between indictments as God intended. (laughs) The next question this week comes to us from the mad swan bloods. Okay. Who write is submission defense becoming one of the most underrated aspects of, of the sport. This card illustrated it perfectly with two fighters securing near submissions in the first round only to fade horribly down the stretch. What other fighting intangibles Dundaso aside, would you deem invaluable to have now for a long time during the very modern era or recent times, I guess you would say in MMA, you had a lot of instances where guys would just forego submissions entirely in order to maintain a dominant position on the ground where they could either control the flow of the fight or they could do damage with strikes. It seems to me now, and I don't have any statistics to back this up, but it seems like guys are going for subs more often now. And we did see a couple of instances in this uh, fight card with Raul Rosas Jr., maybe most particularly. Uh, We will talk about him a little bit more in a couple minutes, but uh, you know, guys are weathering submissions and sometimes it does cause the other fighter to, to gas out a little bit here. Um, I yes, yeah, submission defense is obviously important, but I think it's more to me, it's more the idea that guys are, are taking risks by going for submissions instead of just maintaining back control or whatever else it is and, and scoring points and doing damage. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with knowing your own game and what you think your path to victory looks like because if you think hey i want to get on this guy early and nab a submission before we're too sweaty like but when my odds of being able to lock onto something and hold onto it are higher then sure i can understand why you would prioritize going for and trying to finish a submission rather than just establishing position and and making sure you win the round and you wear him down but as you saw with the raul rosas fight that has a downside if you don't get it and you spend all your energy trying to finish it, not only because of the physical energy you're spending, but like the emotional energy of feeling like I got it. We're almost done here. I'm going to finish this. And then if you don't get it, there can be a real letdown and real kind of like a adrenaline dump that, and if you want to talk about intangibles that are good to have, one is to make sure that either you're in great enough shape or experienced enough, or just that you manage your energy and your output well enough that you don't ever get that tired, that you can know when the opportunity exists to go for a finish and try for it, but that you don't ever empty the tank trying to finish it 
and then leave yourself in a bad spot if you fail to finish it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think I think for him, for Raul Rosas, that's probably going to be something that comes with experience, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, so young in the game and still so early on into his development. Uh, but I think that that's going to be one of the big learning experiences he takes away from that fight. I agree. Uh, we can go all the way back to the early days of Pride to hear Boss Rutten talking about how one of his favorite submission defense techniques was to pretend like he was choking to make yes. choking noises so the other guy would crank even harder and end up burning his his arms out trying to get the choke. Here's the thing about submission defense, though. Yeah, it's important. I think it's one of the many things you need to have as an MMA fighter if you're going to be all that successful. But I don't necessarily know that anybody is out here like, okay, when I get in there, I'm going to let him climb on my back. And then yeah. he's going to wrap his arms around my neck and I'm going to successfully defend the choke for like three minutes until he gets super tired. And then it's time for me to take over. So, well, you did hear in uh, Christian Rodriguez's corner. Uh, I think he had like Duke Rufus yeah. in his corner. right? And then and, and they, you could hear them saying after the end of the first round, like, OK, that's what we expected. Right. That he was going to go hard and try to get you out of there uh, in the first round. That was his big push. That was his big barrage. We survived it. Now let's go get him. And that's kind of exactly what happened yeah. like it did seem like they had kind of talked about that like maybe a scouting this guy and being like young guy very energetic the enthusiasms of youth if you will he's gonna go out there and he's gonna start fast let him yeah make like let's just not lose in the first round and then we're gonna beat him in the second and the third round and that that worked out pretty damn well yeah no we might as well have our Raul Rosas Jr. conversation right now it just seemed like this was a classic MMA experience to see this you kind of called this one honestly i well, i mean you know there's so many different ways for this to go wrong and especially when you've got a young up-and-coming prospect you just don't know what a lot of the aspects of their game are until you see them go through this adversity like we had over the weekend uh with against christian rodriguez and like clearly you can see that Raul Rosas Jr. is a blue chip prospect. You can see it every step of the way, even in this fight that he ends up losing. You can see how talented he is, how innately talented, how skilled he is. And you can see all of the things that I think are going to make him a successful MMA fighter down the road. But then you also see this negative experience that he ends up having in this fight because like I say every time, MMA is so hard and there's so many different ways to fail at it that it's hard to proclaim these guys as, you know, the next big thing until you get the opportunity to see all facets of their game. Because if you have one thing that's lacking, eventually someone will come along and exploit it. And you could absolutely tell that Christian Rodriguez and Duke Rufus and the other guys from Rufus Sport 100% knew how this fight was going to go. You could see it on Christian Rodriguez's face the entire time throughout the whole fight that he was just going to go out there as the experienced older fighter and he was going to be cool, calm, and collected, weather the storm against Raul Rosas Jr. and then take over in the second and third rounds. And like you said, that is exactly what happened. And as the UFC broadcast team talked about, this seemed also to be a little bit of a case of Raul Rosas Jr. believing his own hype. That he thought he was going to go out there and just steamroll Christian Rodriguez. And man, he came out that corner like a bat out of hell. Just like he was going to absolutely flatten this dude. Setting a sprint pace that no one could keep, frankly, for 15 minutes. And when he didn't get the early finish, you saw what happened. And so you got to think this will be a learning experience for him. And a hard-won learning experience at that to have it happen on a pay-per-view event in your second UFC fight. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned this beforehand that this seemed like the kind of uh, 
the kind of fight you might lose yeah. as, as a sophomore performance in the UFC. And I, I think, though, that maybe it's not the worst thing to have something like this happen for him at this point in his career. Because you're right, the experience matters in this sport for a whole lot of reasons. And one of them is the the knowledge that even if you think that you might be better than the other guy, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. There's a lot that can go on in there. Yeah. And to to come out there, you know, obviously you got to have some confidence. You got to believe in yourself. But to go out there like you just think it's, uh, you know, um, only a matter of time till you run right over this guy. And then you, you run into some people and you find out that some people are tougher than you thought and that they have a few more tricks up their sleeve than you realize. Like, that might be a necessary thing that you need to push yourself to, like, round out your game and also reevaluate some aspects of your approach. I I just hope, like, we don't do the thing that we sometimes do in MMA as fans and media where we get really excited about somebody early on, especially when there's kind of a gimmick, which for Raul Rosas Jr. was being, like, you know, a child basically starting this sport. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, when they did that on the Contender Series where it was like, uh, you know, a 17-year-old, is gonna, and they had him fight like three weeks before his 18th birthday. Like, they could have waited <laughs> until he was legally an adult, but they wanted that gimmick. They wanted that as a marketing aspect of it. And we get very excited about that. He gets good card placement here, much to the dismay of other people like Chris Curtis. And then he goes out there and he loses the kind of fight that, that you could lose in, in, at any point in the UFC. I don't. I hope we don't just do a thing where we're like, "Oh fuck it, he was a flash in the pan. He yeah. sucks." Because you're right, he clearly does have some stuff. He he has some ability there. He gets a little more experience, a little more season. If he takes the right lessons from stuff like this, he still could be super good. He's super tough too. Especially you could see he was exhausted and kind of done in that fight, and still wasn't there to quit. You know, and so I give him some time. Yeah, like let's when we get really excited about an 18 year old, let's also maybe remind ourselves that he is an 18 year old. And that uh, there's there's gonna be some mistakes just through inexperience and oh you know overexcitement at times. Yeah, and honestly, that's one of the things that is most fascinating about this sport is that you will see this hotshot young prospect, just a kid, really experience this adversity. And now the question is, what does he do? How does he come back for it from it? Does he continue to make the same mistakes, or does he you know close up that particular negative aspect of his game and come back better? So we will see that from Raul Rosas Jr., whose mom and dad are in his corner, correct? Like if I'm not mistaken, like that they uh, his dad is like his chief corner cornerman, and his yeah. mom was there like having him kiss the rosary and doing the the sign of the cross before he got in the cage. Like that's I mean that's awesome. You're saying maybe we could use that that one of those spots for a wrestling coach or something. <laughs> I'm saying it's like having your mom and dad drive you to a middle school dance, right? It's like, they're not just going <laughs> to drop you off though. They're actually going to work your corner. I feel like that's cool. I feel like if I had my mom and dad drive me to the middle school dance, I'd want them to drop me off maybe a couple blocks away. Oh, mom, you know? I don't want to see my mom and dad dropping me off at my second UFC fight. Can you just park down the block? Let me walk yeah. the rest of the way. Next question this week Don't make fun of me. comes to us from Matthew Cole Webb, who writes, man, we got to talk about Kevin Holland. He's too motherfucking friendly. I feel like he, if he would stop fucking around, he could have finished Santiago Ponzinibbio earlier. He's open hand slapping. He's yucking it up with Trump. Just constant bullshitting. I feel like we're watching a super talented guy play too much into mediocrity discourse on the fight and Kevin Holland's prospects. Please love you both equally. Uh, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know that we could ask Kevin no. Holland to do any more during no. this fight, man. Like, just uh, we will address his his personality stuff in a second, but like, man, he absolutely destroyed for the most part Santiago Ponzinibbio in this fight. Knocked him down with a spinning back fist while the guy was holding his leg in the first round. Hurt him again in the second round, and then finished him in the third. Like, Santiago Ponzinibbio, the Argentine dagger by the way, mm-hmm. one of the yeah. better nicknames out there in the UFC right now. He's a tough-ass dude. That's a hard guy to fight and or finish. And Kevin Holland, like, didn't really have a problem with him during this. So I can't, I couldn't really ask him to do much more in this fight. And the other thing that I think you are about to address is I don't want to ask a guy to really change his personality. I don't want to ask him to change fundamentally who he is as a fighter. And I think all of that stuff is kind of what, makes Kevin Holland Kevin Holland and all of that stuff is the reason why he's fighting on a UFC pay-per-view, right? Like I'm just going to, I got to say this to Matthew Cole Webb with all due respect, a man goes out there and knocks another man out, hits him, has him spinning through the air and landing on his face. We don't then, no matter what came before that, get to criticize him for being too friendly. (laughs) You win by knockout. You the, the one criticism we do not get to level at you is that you were fucking around too much. Because you won by knockout. You did the thing you were supposed to do. Just because it came in the third round instead of the second round. No, it came. He knocked him out. Afterwards, he was saying, too, about how he'd had a lot of issues with his hand. And he was having a hard time just having the faith in his right hand that it was recovered enough from injury to handle it. So if we're going to complain about him throwing open hand slaps, that might be part of the thing. Is that you're not sure how hard you really want to go out there and try to punch with your hand because you still don't have the confidence that it won't break again. So... I give him some leeway there, but all that other stuff, like clearly by this point, that is part of how he fights and how he needs to fight. And I don't think you can go from, especially a successful knockout performance and go, clearly you have some problems that you need to address. Like it worked pretty well this time. Yeah. Could almost, there's very few ways it could have worked any better. Like I understand some of the other fights. If you want to talk about like, Oh, he's fucking around. He's talking too much. He at least seems sometimes like he's not taking it super seriously, but I would argue that in those fights that he has lost, they were fights. He was going to lose. Even if he went out there really stern and stoic, he lost because of skill gaps in those previous fights, not because he was just giving it away most of the time. So, I feel like let the guy be himself. It works a lot of the time. It definitely worked here. You knock a guy out. No one gets to say that you fucked around too much. Next question this week comes to us from Dan Alexander. He writes, so do you think Izzy planting Chuck Liddell and Alex Pereira's training camp was straight up Jedi level Dundasso? How else do we explain <laughs> Chuck passing on his knowledge to Alex and prep for 287, then showing up at Izzy's after party? Please discourse. Well, I mean, I could hey, tell you, man. How you, look, look. If there's a party, Chuck Liddell's yes. gonna be there, man. Chuck Liddell's coming to your party. Say. Doesn't matter who you are. If there's a Chuck Liddell is coming to the party. Period. You wanted me to explain to you how Chuck Liddell ends up at Israel Adesanya's after party because there was one. <laughs> I'm guessing Alex Pereira didn't have much of an after party after getting knocked out like that. So. Chuck, not you think Chuck's going to go back to the hotel room, watch fucking Friends reruns? I don't think so. <laughs> he is going to a party. It just, it just, 
he needs to just know who it is and where the party is and he will be there. So that's how I explain it. Probably needed to have a couple few soda pops to drink away what I assume was his terrible depression after seeing Alex Pereira lose that fight. No, not really. He just wanted to go to the party. Acting like we don't know Chuck Liddell out here. I bet he was sitting up in the room and he was like, oh, this is the one where Ross and Rachel were on a break. I've seen this one too many times. All right, man, where's this damn party at? That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, like we said last week, our old friends at Fulton and Rourke are back. The CME's longest standing sponsor, and in our opinion, the producers of the best personal grooming products on the market. They've got their solid fragrances, their amazing bar soaps, the Formula 5 oil for your hair and skin, and their aluminum-free deodorants. We use these products ourselves and can personally vouch for their awesomeness. I use them every day, and that is a stone fact. No marketing needed. I just love the stuff. We've met these guys in person. They're cool. They make great stuff. And they're also MMA fans, which obviously never hurts. Yeah. One thing that we need to make clear about these products, though, is that Fulton and Rourke is for everybody. We were talking to our guy, Kevin, recently, who owns the company. He made the point that while Fulton and Rourke started as a men's grooming company, pretty early on, they started getting emails from women and non-binary people telling them that they love their fragrances, too. They thought that was pretty cool. And it turns out that Fulton and Rourke estimate that now women make up about 30% of their customers. So there's really no need to classify a fragrance as masculine or feminine. Everybody gets to smell good, Chad. That my friend, that's the way of the future. And like we told you last week, Fulton and Rourke just relaunched their sample packs so you can find the fragrance that's right for you before you commit to a full-sized order. Basically, Fulton and Rourke will send you a small sample amount of their most popular fragrances, and you can pick the one that you like best. On top of that, your first sample set comes with a coupon towards your next purchase. Go check it out right now over at FultonandRourke.com, and because they deeply, deeply love the Comaniacs, you can save 20% off your order with the code CME20. Again, that's FultonandRourke.com and the code CME20, all one word, CME20. Well, Ben, Israel Adesanya is back on top of the middleweight division. We talked last week about how this was such an important fight for Israel Adesanya, so important that he go out there and get this win. If not, he risked going from dominant to transitional in terms of what kind of champion he was going to be. And I think he understood that maybe better than most. And then he went out there in the cage and he did it. A second round KO win for Israel Adesanya and got a much needed victory, frankly, over his nemesis, the schoolyard bully. Alex Pereira, who followed him from one school to another just to keep beating him up for his lunch money. Here we got Israel Adesanya finally, Ben, getting one back. Yeah, and you could tell how good it felt to finally get one back against Alex Pereira, couldn't you? Yeah. Just from the very first moment where he drops him, 
uh, lads that hammer fist, gets the stoppage, and stands up. And he had that bow and arrow celebration ready. Yes, he did. He had been he had given some thought to it. <laughs> I'm gonna say, as you know, what if we go out there, finally get a win over this guy, knock this guy out? How are we gonna mark the occasion? Clearly, he spent a lot of time in his life and his career thinking about Alex Pereira, given that he came into this one down 3-0 to the guy. Yeah. So you know that must have felt like a real vindication and validation to not only beat him, but to knock him out cold yeah. like that. And it was a, a shocking turn, too, because he referred to it afterwards in the his post-fight interview as playing a little bit of possum. And I could see that that's what it was, but it seemed like Alex Pereira bought it. Yeah, He thought he had him in trouble, and you could see why. Like, if you look at how things have gone in this matchup when they fought other times, the guy who ends up going forward is usually the guy who's winning in this series, and the guy who ends up standing up against the, the fence covering up is the guy who's in trouble. That's how Israel Adesanya got himself finished in the last fight, was uh, kind of getting a little too stationary, getting stuck up against the fence and letting Alex Pera tee off on him. And so you could see how Pera saw him fading back like that, covering up and thinking, here we go. This guy is about done. Let's get him out of here. And you end up just throwing everything and not thinking about what's coming back at you. And Israel Adesanya first finds that right hand that kind of spins him around. And you could see there was a moment there where maybe if... Israel Adesanya hadn't been able to follow up with something. He, Alex Pereira might have recovered from that. Yeah. Uh, and as he is trying to turn and kind of reorient himself, Izzy just drills him right behind the ear, which at that point, you know, that's a hard shot to take at any time. And especially when you're already sort of discombobulated and trying to recover. As soon as he landed that follow-up right hand, it's done. Yeah. Well, th- this is one of the things that make this matchup and these fights so fascinating, too, is that Alex Pereira was doing well. It looked like he was yeah. making some hay, finding the home for the low kicks that that were doing some damage. It looked like he is, I will say, extremely terrifying when he goes into attack yeah. mode. You know, when he really starts turning it on, starts cutting off the cage and, and getting aggressive with his strikes. And this time it just seemed like he got a little careless and didn't seem to respect the power of Israel Adesanya. And if that is a tendency that Alex Pereira has that the city kickboxing guys realized. And if this really was their game plan to get into a little bit of rope a dope and then throw counter shots, that's really smart and also incredibly ballsy because that is a risky situation to get yourself into. And it just so happened to work out this time for Israel Adesanya. I thought this was not the game plan that I expected. Let me just say that. This is not what I expected Israel Adesanya to do. We were almost all the way through the second round here. We almost got 10 minutes into this thing, knocked him out uh, with, I think, about maybe 41 seconds left in the in the second round and zero takedown attempts from Israel Adesanya. I thought that you would see him try to use control a little bit more and try to maybe get this thing out of Alex Pereira's world and onto the ground where Israel Adesanya might be a little bit more experienced and have a little bit better rounded game. Did not do that at all. Went out there and just basically threw them things with Alex Pereira, and this time he gets the better of him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily expect him to come out there and be shooting double legs right away, but I am reminded of what Glover Teixeira said, you know, obviously operating from Alex Pereira's corner, but saying, hey, what, you think just because he had some success, managed to get on top of him and for a time in the last fight and 
controlled him a little bit there that he's going to completely reorient himself and be the guy who's shooting for takedowns constantly. He's not. He's not a wrestler. He's not going to be doing that. And I also think that Israel Adesanya in his head was just not going to be like, hey, you need to shoot takedowns on this guy because you can't stand with him. Uh, I think that even if that were true, I don't know if Israel Adesanya would be able to be honest with himself about that. I think that it's too baked into who he is as a fighter to think like, well, I could beat anybody on in a striking exchange on the feet. I just need to do a better job. Just need to execute better and not make the mistakes that I made, and then I'll get this guy. But it does kind of show you the way this fight went as opposed to the way the last fight went. When you've got two guys like this who are both so good and both at the top of the, the sport in their division – the margin for error is just so incredibly small. Yeah. You know? And that's one of the things that makes fight sports so different from other sports. Because it's like, you go out there to play uh, NBA finals. You know, doesn't matter if it's, you know, Lakers and Celtics in their primes. You could have a bad quarter. You could have a bad fucking game. An entire bad game. And you're still going to get another chance you know, in a best of seven series, you can have a bad quarter. You're still going to get a chance to go into halftime and talk about it and see if you can fix what's wrong in a fight. You just have to fuck up once. Yeah. You know, and the other guy just has to catch you slipping once has to pull one little trick that works on you. Uh, and then the next thing, you know, you're waking up on the floor and he's doing a bow and arrow celebration at you. <laughs> one of the things that I do have to say that I appreciate and like about Israel Adesanya for the most part is that he seems pretty self-aware in ways that a lot of fighters aren't even to the point where when he wanted to get the mic from Joe Rogan, he leaned over and was like, can I have the mic for a second? I promise I'll give it back, which is just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's the way you ask for it. And then not only does he say he has a message for all people, he says he has a message for the earth, Ben folks, that he wants everyone to experience the true happiness of having earth worked self, having yeah. worked for hard things. But then he says, Hey man, I understand that in Alex Pereira's story, I am the antagonist, which is yeah. again, you don't get that a lot from no. MMA fighters. So I appreciate that aspect of his personality. In addition to the fact that he's just a really, really good fighter and is now once again, the middleweight champion before we move on though, it doesn't make any sense to not have these guys fight again, right? We're out here trying to close the loop on this thing. If you're Israel Adesanya trying to make it seem like you can just move on, go fight DDP or something like that. Look, man, these guys are one and one in MMA now. And Pereira still has those two kickboxing wins. There aren't a ton of top middleweight contenders beating down the door to try to get in here. These fights between Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya are great fights with great buildups. I don't understand why we wouldn't do this one again, especially if the buy rate at UFC 287 was high, which it sort of seemed like it was going to be. So I don't know why we wouldn't run this one back a third time. Yeah, I mean, I guess on the con side of the ledger is we've just done nothing but this for like the last six months, basically. And so if you're going to turn around and get people to be like, all right, you know what's up next in the middleweight division, this thing again, like by the time you're done with it, it'll have been a solid year pretty much where you didn't do anything other than this with the middleweight title. And I agree that it's a really interesting rivalry at this point. It's kind of hard to have one guy go 3-0, have the other guy get one back and be like, well, that's it. We're done. We're closing the book on that. You know, like that. I, I can understand why that would 
be a little bit counterintuitive. And especially, you're right, if it is successful, I, I do think you reach a point with these rivalries where people do get a little sick of them, even if they're having a whole hell of a lot of fun when the actual fights happen. Um, so I think I think that's one of the things that you have to kind of take into account. The, the pro side, though, is that as we talked about, you know, I think on uh, the Power Hour last week, now that Israel Adesanya is the champ again, if you want to do something else with the um, middleweight title picture, you have to answer what that something might be right. because he's still beat basically everybody in the top five already. Like you've, you've seen all those fights. And so if you're, if you're not ready to do Dreykus Duplesis and like elevate him, uh, you know, or elevate somebody ahead of where you would normally put them just because he's beat all the other contenders, then you're going to go have to go into some kind of rerun, whether it's Bobby Knuckles or, or somebody else. Like the, he's, that's the, downside of having a guy who's a dominant champion regain the belt is because we've seen a lot of those fights already. Yeah. I, I look, man, don't get me wrong. I think Alex Pereira would be a really interesting guy at light heavyweight as well. You know, you, you especially with after John Jones's departure, light heavyweight still con- continues to slump a little bit. You know, we're going to get in, I think it is some cool fights in, in the, the near future, but at the same time, Alex Pereira would be a, an interesting addition, and he is fucking huge at 185 pounds. He would be an interesting addition to light heavyweight. But I think Dana White trying to say he definitely needs to go to light heavyweight seems like a bit of a marketing move to me. Like, maybe you're not super into what you got going on at the top of the light heavyweight division right now, and Alex Pereira would perhaps be an interesting and marketable guy to get up in that division, but I would just as soon see him stay home in middleweight where it doesn't seem like the weight cut and making the weight is depleting him. doesn't seem like he's not doing good down there. So uh, for the time being, I would have that guy stay home and we'll get him into something else. Interesting. Yeah. All right, let's do. Are you fucking kidding me band? And then we'll move on uh, to round number two. I'm going to do my, are you fucking kidding me? Because it is related to this fight. And that is that as part of his tremendous celebration, after the, his victory in this fight, Israel Adesanya taunted Alex Pereira's son, his two sons that were out in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cold, dude. That is cold. I wonder if he will regret that later. <laughs> like these kids look like, look, they look like they're like 11 and 13 years old, man. And it turns out Alex or Israel Adesanya is still mad about the one time that Alex Pereira's kid came into the kickboxing ring after the first time that Pereira KO'd him. And then he like stood by Adesanya and fell down as if he'd just been knocked out. Here is the quote from Israel Adesanya at the post-fight press conference. I'm petty, bro. Now, once again, (laughs) self-aware shout out to Adesanya for his self-awareness. I remember So the first time he knocked me out in Brazil, his son came into the ring and then started to lie down dead next to me. And I was like, you fucking little asshole. I'll whoop your ass if your dad doesn't do it for you. So I looked for his kid and I pointed at him and I saw him just to remind him. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like you watch this video and it looks like Alex Pereira's kid is like five or six years old when this happens. And it's like you, I mean, I understand how, and maybe he was. As a kid, trying to do a thing, making fun of you for getting knocked out. And he did do it right next to him. It was a little bit weird to do it like that. But, like, also, a five-year-old might just be hitting himself in the head and falling over at kind of any point in the day. Yeah. Just for something to do. Like, he might not have necessarily been trying to scorch you 
with a killer burn right after you'd been knocked out because he was a child. Yeah. But man, he don't forget. He is because especially I said he had the arrow thing on his mind. Yeah. He must have had this on his mind because it didn't like not like it took him a while to think about like, oh, yeah, I remember I'm mad at that kid. No, he's been mad at that kid, Chad. <laughs> no, I know. Here's the thing. I have a six year old and I can tell you like they oftentimes just don't even live in this reality. They are just <laughs> oftentimes not of this world. So to like hold a grudge against the six year old. You fucking kidding me, dude. You fucking kidding me. Actually, shout out to the filthy casual on uh, on Twitter, who, as we were recording this, I think just tweeted, it's actually really fucking funny imagining a grown man getting taunted by a child and holding a grudge about it for years, waiting to get his chance to talk shit back. You know what? And he maximized that chance. Yes, he he did. did. He went over and found them as like his kids are standing there crying and like pointing right at them, doing his thing where he falls down and then hops back up. I mean, he did kind of nail it. I got even rid of that. I think the person who summed up my feelings on it the best is the big homie, Rodrigo Del Campo Gonzalez over there, who he pointed out, I, su- I support this. I don't, but I do. <laughs> Which that is kind of how I feel about it. Because it's just like, you like... Man, that is cold-blooded. And you shouldn't do that, but you did it, and it's kind of awesome, but also it is cold, man. It's cold. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I don't know if you noticed Dana White getting mad at the pre-fight press conference when media members had the audacity to uh, ask about the fact that we had all seen video of Jorge Masvidal and Kevin Holland getting into it Mm. at the host hotel. And then he talked, first of all, he got mad at the pre-fight press conference. I mean, Dana White shows up mad at this point, you know, uh, but saying anybody else got any stupid questions. And then afterwards, he he elaborates on it a little bit. Quote, the reason I didn't want you guys talking about other fights, guys were fucking two days before a fight. He's not fighting Jorge Masvidal, first of all. It creates shit backstage and at the hotels, right? When you guys ask them questions like that and they say something, we still got two days until the fight. And these guys run into each other backstage and everywhere else. And it's so disrespectful to their opponent. There's an opponent sitting up there that they're going to fight. I just hate that shit. He went on, I get it. You want your fucking clicks or whatever it is. You guys want to get your little fucking moment that you can post, but I will fucking attack you if you do that. You know what I mean? It just causes a lot of bullshit backstage. So first of all, are you fucking kidding me? We're going to act like it was the media instigating this and not the media asking about a thing that fucking happened that we all saw fucking happen. Uh, So it's not really the media's fault on that one. Uh, Also... You want to get your fucking clicks or whatever it is. You want to get your little fucking moment that you can post. Dana White says, <laughs> what do you think would happen? I mean, if Jorge Masvidal hadn't retired, if you know, they, the UFC had been looking for something to do with both those guys afterwards and had decided, Oh, I know. Hey, you could sell a fight between these guys because they already have some bad blood. Who do you think would want to be getting their fucking clicks then? Yeah. Because how many times, Chad, have we seen the UFC pretend to get mad about pre-fight stuff? Except in, as soon as you have a fight to sell, as soon as it's Conor McGregor throwing the, the hand truck through the bus window, but then we got to turn around and sell that actual matchup. We can't wait to use that footage. Yeah. Can't wait to get our clicks, post our little fucking moment when it helps the UFC. It's, hey, you guys are talking about a fight that we're not trying to sell. How dare you talk about something that might cause us stress but doesn't make us money? 
Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> All these years in the business, Dana White still thinks the media is just supposed to be a promotional arm of the UFC, helping him sell shit and not causing any fucking problems. And I can understand why he thinks that because so many people in the media see, seem to see their job the exact same way. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, according to the official records, it's been goddamn near 20 years of Jorge Masvidal fighting in mixed martial arts. His record shows a pro debut in May of 2003, and if this retirement, as he proclaimed it in the cage after his loss to Gilbert Burns at UFC 287, sticks that will be it for him with a record of 35 and 17, one month shy of 20 continuous years in this sport. First of all, you think this is really it for the big homie bread game, Jorge Masvidal? Do you think he really hangs up the gloves for good and does what so few people seem to do, which is stay retired the first time they say it? Yeah. Might depend on what his contractual situation is with the UFC, honestly. You're talking about a guy who runs his own boxing promotion, Game Bread Boxing. And as we have noted before, that's a little bit like somebody who uh, quits drinking but continues to work at the bar, right? Is serving up all these drinks all the time. They're right there in front of you. Maybe uh, maybe eventually you think, hey, you know what makes sense for Jorge Masvidal, the boxing promoter, is to promote, to promote Jorge Masvidal, the boxer. Maybe that makes yeah. sense. So who knows if this one sticks for Jorge Masvidal? We have, we've seen these things come and go before that it, it's hard for guys to hang with the retirement. The siren song of returning to the cage is sometimes too much for them. I mean, this was one, though, where Masvidal was talking about retiring after this fight before it even happened, which is generally not a great sign for the actual competitiveness of a fight. It's really hard to do this thing if you've already got one foot out the door. The sport is so hard, it takes so much physical and mental commitment that if you're already thinking about walking away, maybe you show up for this fight where Jorge Masvidal looked super game the whole time against Gilbert Burns, but he did not have much for him. I think that's the kind of performance you get. Uh, and at the same time, like you said, we have to acknowledge Jorge Masvidal had a remarkable career in this sport. You talked about the 20 years of professional fighting. Before that, he's fighting guys in the boat salvage yard on yep. the Kimbo Slice Sublime Directory videos. That's where Jorge Masvidal was, you know, 25 years ago. So, added Gilbert Burns mentioned it in the post-fight interview in the cage. 57 pro fights or whatever it was, and then a bunch more in backyards. So, Jorge Masvidal has been added a long time. I also want to say, he's one of these guys that really came to prominence kind of late in his career, which is unusual. Yeah. He had been a longtime MMA fighter, had fought damn near everywhere, all over the world. Bowdog fights, for God's sakes, hosted Jorge Masvidal. Uh, and so, for him to kind of become 
a, 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 a star in MMA, a marketable pay-per-view star as late in his career as he did with the knockout of Ben Askren and the three-piece and a soda and super necessary and all these other things. That in and of itself is remarkable. We don't see that a ton for guys 15 years deep in the game to suddenly become marketable stars. So good on Jorge Masvidal for all of that. You know what else you don't see very often is that there was a time these young kids today, Chad, don't even know about it, but there was a time where it looked like the most notable thing about Jorge Masvidal's career might end up being that he got caught in that inverted triangle submission choke in one of the early Bellator events. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. It was Toby Amada got him. Yeah. In the upside down triangle. And for Bellator at the time, it was a really big deal because Bellator was still so new. I think it was still on just on ESPN Deportes back then and trying to survive basically on YouTube clips. And so it needed big, memorable moments that it could push out there and and get out to the larger MMA world and be like, see, we're doing stuff over here. You might want to come in and take a look at. And this was one of their really big moments at the time was Toby Amata got that what at the time was a really unusual submission, an inverted triangle, and put Jorge Masvidal to sleep with it, basically, in Bellator 5. This is May of 2009 uh, in their lightweight tournament. And a lot of times, guys have a hard time recovering from being on the wrong end of a, a viral highlight real moment like that. You know, how many times we've heard guys even complaining about that? Like, God, how many times are they going to replay this shit? And he ends up having, like two or three different careers after that yeah, point, yeah. you know? This guy had 30 he, fights before he even came to the UFC. Right, and it was for a while where it seemed like he might end up being sort of just another guy in Strike Force, uh, ends up fighting for the, the Strike Force lightweight title, but doesn't win it, uh, comes over to the UFC, and it doesn't seem like they're particularly excited about him, just kind of see him as another one of these guys who we got. And really... It's that moment when, you know, you match him up with Ben Askren and everybody's thinking like, well, Ben Askren, it seems like Jorge Masvidal is exactly the kind of guy he just wrestles into a decision. And then talk about having a good game plan, <laughs> a good game plan where you got one good trick, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it might only work once, <laughs> but when it works, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, no, like I said, he, in the same way Donald Cerrone kind of did for himself, Jorge Masvidal is one of these guys that kind of built his personality into a bit of a cottage industry. Didn't even necessarily, necessarily need to be the champion to stoke interest in his fights, although he did fight for the title a couple times. And, you know, he had these one-liners, the super necessary three-piece in his soda, then he goes and he jumps a guy outside the poppy steak. So, uh, mm -hmm. allegedly, I'm sorry. Yeah. Allegedly jumped he didn't do anything but colby's got a brain injury so he doesn't see how he could fight for the title mm -hmm. uh one thing i will say for jorge masvidal and you know he seems to understand his gimmick pretty uh yeah. entirely like walking out to the scarface theme as i talked about at the beginning of the show is very on brand for jorge masvidal and you know even if tony montana comes to a a terrible end at the end of scarface kind of awesome for jorge masvidal frankly to walk out to the scarface theme He's a, it is weird, though, right, to be like the super, like the, the lean all the way into like a Scarface kind of persona in like your dress and everything, but also be like, also the the right wing fascist. Uh, I'm super into that guy. Like, I, I that is the other part of my personality. I want you guys all to know is <laughs> hardcore support for Republican politics. Yeah, it is odd. It is odd. Uh, but I will say this for Jorge Masvidal. He lives it, man. 
you can kind of tell that Jorge Masvidal is about this life. He is what he projects himself to be. He is not like Colby Covington, who will get mad and befuddled if you try to confront confront him in the buffet line when he's wearing his cargo shorts, just trying to go, you know, have some lunch. And all of a sudden, here comes Kamaru Usman and Ali Abdelaziz to get in his face. He's, you know, he's off the clock at that point. Colby Covington is Jorge Masvidal does not go off the clock. He is Jorge Masvidal a hundred percent of the time. And, uh, you know, he may well be game bred all the time. Yeah, that's true. All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, you've got a bit of a dandy coming up this Saturday. T-Mobile Center out there in Kansas City, Missouri. This one is the UFC on ESPN, your main event here. Max Holloway going to take on uh, Arnold Allen in a men's featherweight contender fight, which just has all of the makings of an instant classic. It is an important Litmus test fight, I guess, for Arnold Allen, who can definitely punch his ticket into the 145-pound elite if he goes ahead and beats somebody like Max Holloway. And at the same time, I guess you got Max Holloway kind of trying to stay in the championship conversation, which is frankly where he has been for years. And you don't want to fall out of that conversation if you are Max Holloway at 31 years old. You want to stay right where you're at, if not on an upward trajectory. So aside from the physical uh, delightfulness of this matchup, that it seems like it will be just a a barn burner, it's also an important fight for both dudes, which is uh, that's the right combination for a main event, if you ask me. Okay, before we get into any of this, so you're telling me, when the UFC has big shows in Las Vegas, that's at T-Mobile Arena. Yes. Then we're going to go out here to Kansas City, Missouri and have one at the T-Mobile Center. What the fuck, man? <laughs> How that, many arenas you need, T-Mobile? Is that uh this this shit is confusing. That that uh that confuses you? I you know, I don't hey like man, it. I don't want to uh continue to make you even more confused but as a guy who just came back from seattle i can tell you that where the seattle mariners play is t-mobile park oh get the fuck out of here (laughs) i'm so mad right now (laughs) oh it's just naming rights man t-mobile's out there spreading the money around trying to get t-mobile has too much money that's what i learned here the too much damn money if you can afford to put your naming rights on as many as and possibly more than, for all I know, three different major event centers. Imagine somebody tell you like, hey man, uh, meet me down here, we're going to go to this thing at the T-Mobile Center. You fly to Kansas City and they're like, oh no, no, I'm at T-Mobile Arena, man, we're in Las Vegas. And you're just like, "This, there should be a law. You shouldn't be able to do this. fucking bullshit i hope that doesn't happen to either max holloway or arnold allen i hope they don't show up in in you know flying over from hawaii and england respectively i hope they don't show up in Mm -hmm. las vegas like hey man i'm ready to go where are all the banners how come no one picked me up at the airport and then it turns out they're supposed to be out in kc i hope that doesn't happen to them we're we're playing with fire 
is what I say. And it's just we're how if you are like a customer of T-Mobile's, this is how you know they must be screwing you if they got this much money to throw around on arena naming rights. Yeah, man. They Too must, much damn money. They must be on that UFC keep all the money business model. Does, does Bernie Sanders know about this? <laughs> I feel like he would he would want to break them up or something. I feel like he'd be mad. Just absolutely livid. Well, assuming that everybody correctly makes it out to Kansas City to meet at the, what is it, T-Mobile Center. See, there. you don't even know which one it is. <laughs> well, we just set them all right in a row. It one is, of the T-Mobiles. It's confusing. Uh, let's say we all get there. We get there all okay to Kansas City, Missouri. How does this one play out if we can get past our confusion? I mean, you know, you know this about me. I've been on the Arnold Allen bandwagon for some time now. That's true. That boy good. Yes, he is. That boy good. The biggest problem with Arnold Allen, honestly, has been not being able to fight often enough, either through his own injuries or, you know, as we've documented in the past, uh, the Brits had a little bit of a hard time of it, uh, trying to stay active during the pandemic and get over here when we were just running shows in the Apex all the time or in Abu Dhabi. And so he goes for a while there where it's like, you know, one fight in 2020, one fight in 2021, actually managed to get two in uh, 2022. But then you come into this one where you're going to fight Max Holloway. And this is when you find out if you are a capital G guy yep. in the featherweight division. Yes, you know, is. because... Max Holloway doesn't lose to anybody but fucking the best, basically. And you, I know he he doesn't want to be in the situation in his career where he is just the guy who's like knocking back contenders as they try to reach that final step to get up there and challenge for the, the championship. But he is useful in that sense because you get a guy who's been running through people. I mean, Arnold Allen... 19 and one yeah. lost one fight in his career. And it was in 2014 reeled off. I think what, like 10 straight in the UFC and you still go get the sense of like, okay, you beat Calvin cutter. You beat Dan Hooger, you know, Nick Lentz, Gilbert Melendez. Those are all quality wins, but the Max Holloway one is the one where we find out. Yeah. is the one where you show up and we find out if you are the guy who, who, cause he win that one and it's the title next. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah, Arnold Allen undefeated in the UFC. He has looked very good. However, remember the last time that we signed Max Holloway up to fight an up-and-coming contender to see if that guy belonged among the elite? It was January of 2021 against Calvin Cater, and I believe Max Holloway set a UFC record just for punishment, just for whipping a dude's ass. Uh, yeah. Because he beat Calvin just Cater. Just styled on Yep, him. beat him from pillar to post. And so... Uh, aside from that, he is, he is exclusively fighting the elite and, and Arnold Allen will get his opportunity to prove that he deserves to be there on Saturday. And frankly, like, I kind of can't wait to see what happens. This is one of those ones where, uh, I couldn't even tell you what, what will go down when you get these two in the cage. Have you looked at the betting odds for this one? I was just clicking around on my, uh, computer here to try to get over there. Over at DraftKings right now, Max Holloway minus one ninety five favorite. Yeah, almost two to one favorite. Arnold Allen plus one sixty five. I mean, you could you could go ahead and take a flyer, right? You know, I love I mean, losing bets. You know, I love twenty dollars I never want to see again. If I can get under, I mean, this is the kind of fight twenty dollars you never want to see again. It was made for. That's right. It was a situation where somebody like Arnold Allen kind of shows up here, and you know, normally it's. 
he he typically has in a lot of these fights show, like as least closed as a favorite. You know, sometimes you've seen him open as a little bit of an underdog. Like, uh, I was just looking at one here. Like, when he fought Calvin Cater, he opened as a plus 150 underdog, and by the time it closed, uh, he was at minus 114. So, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, it, I, I get, I re- see that as a reflection of how much respect people have for Max Holloway's skills. And I know nobody wants to use the term gatekeeper. Uh, fighters hate it. They, they hate being branded that way, but it does refer to an actual real function, which is somebody who does not get beat by anybody unless they are really ready to be at the top. Yeah. And that feels like kind of where Max Holloway is a little bit stuck right now, just because how many times can you lose to the guy who remains the current champion? And before we go, all right, we've seen that one enough. We know how it's going to go. And then your choices, if you stay in that division afterwards, are either to become that gatekeeper and, you know, for as long as you can hold on to that job. Like, nobody wants that job, but also that that's an easy one to lose if you can't keep beating these guys. Uh, or move divisions, tr- kind of rebrand yourself as a, a fighter there for different kind of stuff other than to try to be the best and fight for the, the title which are all viable ways to go about a career. But this is the one where I think the the biggest test sort of for both those guys, is Max Holloway still the guy who doesn't lose to anybody but the champ? Yeah. Is Arnold Allen really the guy who, as he has looked, at least on paper, seems like he is getting there where he's ready to fight for the title? Yeah, well, if he wins this one, he'll definitely be in the conversation. He'll be in on the very short list. Uh, if look, man, if somebody walked up to me and just didn't even tell me who he was fighting, he was just like, oh, we were on the street and a guy in a trench coat walked up to me. He was like, Hey, I'll give you plus money on Arnold Allen. I would take it. I would just take it. Not blind. Yeah. I would take it. Not knowing who was fighting period. I would just take the opportunity. I'm not saying he's going to beat Max Holloway because like I said earlier in this round, uh, we have already seen what happens when Max Holloway is called in as a litmus test for an up-and-comer. But this is going to be a damn good fight. I couldn't tell you who's going to win. I would just take the position bet on Arnold Allen. If you look down the card here, it's actually not too bad. You've got Edson Barboza and Billy Q in the featherweight co-main. you got Iwan Kutalaba against Tanner Bozer on this card, Pedro Munoz against Chris Gutierrez, Clay Guida versus Hafa Garcia and Dustin Jacoby versus Azamat Mer- Merzakhanov. Nailed it. Uh, Nailed Ed, it. You know who else is on this card, Ben Folks? Down on the prelims, Ed Short Fuse Herman. What? Ed Short Fuse Herman in a light heavyweight what fight. What year is it? Against Zach Cummings, the 42-year-old Edward Benson Herman. Still out there getting his scrap on. Comes in off a loss to Alonzo Menafield way back in 2021. Going to show up pale as all hell and then immediately turn bright red as soon as he starts to exert himself. I never get tired of it. That's correct. All right, let's go ahead. Just do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your just saying? Chad, this week I'm just saying I am begging MMA websites. Stop trying to be overly dramatic about some fighter posting on Instagram after a loss, (laughs) especially when it's like Alex Pereira. He posts something on Instagram, like the next morning, you know, of a very reasonable timeline between losing a fight, getting knocked out, maybe not wanting to fire up your phone right then and jump on the gram and and, uh, post to all your friends. 
like the next morning posts a message about like, here's how I'm feeling after the loss. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. And everybody's going to be like, breaks his silence. (laughs) Alex Pereira issues a statement, breaks his silence. The silence was like a matter of like six waking hours probably for him. That's just, he's just posting to Instagram, man, to let you know he's okay. Thank his fans. Totally normal stuff. Happens basically every single time we have one of these fights. Stop trying to make it out in a headline as if it is some giant scoop that you have. You're just reading the internet. That is all you are doing. You are telling people you will read the internet so that they don't have to. So that they can read a different part of the internet to know what's going on on those parts of the internet. That's all you're doing. Stop being so dramatic about it. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, I would say like three weeks is the minimum yes. requirement for me to someone to break you their silence. you emerge from a cave with a big burly beard, be like, <laughs> I have something to say. That's breaking your silence. He, he came back from his darkness and silence retreat. After a weekend and then broke broke his silence. Finally spoke out. If you get out. on Instagram, basically, like, so about last night. Yeah. That's not breaking your silence. No, that's just releasing a statement. That's not even releasing a statement. No. That's just posting on the grams. Just posting on the grams. Every, that's all it is. Every time I post on Instagram, I'm not releasing a goddamn statement. Just doing I've a- been telling people that you have. You see Chad's <laughs> latest statement? Oh, it's shocking stuff. Absolutely shocking stuff. Uh, man, this week I'm just saying... Why do guys continue to pretend to drink out of their obviously empty monster energy cans? <laughs> you notice this? It's like, yes. are they, is this something they are asked to do? Is this something they are required yeah. to do by monster energy? Just like, Hey man, if you're going to have the cans out there, we want to, we want to see you take a yummy sip of your monster energy drink and let everyone know how much you're loving it. Those cans are empty, man. We all know they are. We can tell just by looking at them. And then when Gilbert Burns throws his arm yes, over yes. Joe Rogan's shoulder, <laughs> ain't nothing coming out of that can, man. Those monster no, energy cans are it. empty. There's nothing in there. Yeah. He's holding it at a very precarious angle if it had anything left in it. Like, just very careless about it. And we know that's when we see that angle. We're like, that's an empty can, brother. He and Jorge Masvidal both took sips out of their empty cans of Monster Energy drink while they're standing there with the referee. Why are we doing that? Which... Added to which insanity, can you imagine that you just went through a very grueling, physically uh, taxing activity? The thing you're telling me you really want to reach for to quench that thirst as you're all tired and hot and sweaty is a can of energy drink? Yeah. Let me get this bright green nuclear fuel out of this can full of like, like with a... Three Twinkies worth of sugar in it. That's what I want right now. That's really going to take care of my body after this physically grueling process. Only people who should be drinking monster energy drinks are Chuck Liddell before he hits the after party. Before he goes to Israel (laughs) Adesanya's after party, he should chug a monster energy drink. No one else. Just just head it out to whoever won, whoever had a party, just texting who up. I want to see a fighter take a sip of their obviously empty monster energy drink can and then be like, ah, that hits the spot. I mean, come on, man. Just say it. There's nothing in there. We all know it's just empty. It's an empty can. Just saying. All right. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. Uh, we are typically over on Patreon all week. Ben folks is going to be out of town. I'm going to do something fun over there. 
I'm going to do something fun on Patreon. What will it be? I don't know. You don't know. The only way to find out is to get in and join the team over at patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. So when you say you're going to do something fun, is this when you finally do full frontal? Yeah, it's going to turn our Patreon into my own personal OnlyFans, just like I've been, mm-hmm. I've been uh, planning to do this whole time. People have been on the Discord for a while now. Like, when is Chad finally going to do full frontal? Yeah, no, there's is a, Chad going to stop toying with us? There's a certain and clamor, give us full frontal, a certain clamor. Uh-huh. I'm just gonna, I'll be over there being like, oh, did you guys hear that Ben passed away? It's sad. I guess I will just keep all the money from the <laughs> Patreon now. I'm sorry to say, it's just I, it's, I'm so sick of you telling people I'm dead. <laughs> I will. Had it. I just need to process my grief with all this money. With all these dogs. On Instagram, like, I need to release a statement. (laughs) Break my silence. Break my silence about Chad claiming I'm dead. (laughs) 